Board Recruiting – The Search for the Unicorns Recent board evaluations have laid bare how much COVID-19 has accelerated the digitization and transformation of organizations. Independent of the industry and independent of the country, boards realize that they need different skills and behavioral traits in order to realize their strategic ambitions. I thought it's a good time to hear from two board search professionals, what dilemmas board face and what the chances are to get a seat on the table for the first time. Welcome to the Better Boards podcast series. In this episode, I'm delighted to talk with Carol Leonard and Angela Hopter. Carol and Angela worked together and recruit FTSE board members for over 25 years. They have unique insights into what chairs and boards are looking for when recruiting to the boards and the dilemmas they face. I'm Dr. Sabine Demkowski, founder and managing partner of Better Boards. We make the boards of the most ambitious organizations more effective. Our mission at Better Boards is to contribute to creating better boards. We do this by providing clients with an evidence-based approach for board evaluations and board development programs. To fulfill our mission, we give a voice to all who care about creating better boards. Carol, Angela, fantastic to have you on this podcast. Thank you so much for being there. You're welcome. Lovely to be here, Sabina. It's a pleasure, Sabina. You both are working together for 25 years, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, feels longer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we tend to underplay that, Sabina. <laughs> it does nothing for our age profile, Sabina, to say anymore. Yeah. When you work together for such a long time and you have always focused on recruiting for the boards in the UK, how have the briefings you received from clients changed over time? Have they? Goodness, I'll jump in first if you like, Angela. They've changed beyond all description. Um, when I first started as a headhunter, I don't think you really bothered with the job description, really. It was pretty generic. There were hardly any women presented. I remember talking to one company chairman, this is probably 25 years ago, um, and I said, would it be potentially a female candidate? Could this possibly be for a female candidate? And he looked at me quite aghast and said, I've already got one of them. Why would I want another one? So, I mean, it's, you know, and that was the sort of prevailing view at the time, really. And so it, they've become, I mean, if we scroll forward to 2021, they've become incredibly specific now. Mm. Chairman and everybody on the board and everyone servicing the board, general counsels, company secretaries, HR directors, CPOs, etc., are under enormous scrutiny on all fronts from, from shareholders and regulators and government and lobby groups and so forth. There are all sorts of boxes to be ticked and not quite quotas, but what amount virtually to quotas. People are very conscious of having to have 33 and a third percent female. Um, many have tried to go way through that, so it's beyond doubt. Some are st still struggling to get there, often with the best of intentions, trying to get there. It's not always possible if you've got a small board and you're in a quirky sector, perhaps that maybe doesn't attract more diverse candidates. We're now seeing a big push in terms of ethnically diverse candidates, people of colour, as it's described in the, the Parker Review. And that's very welcome. I think that's been quite slow in coming. Personally, I was always quite surprised that people didn't require that earlier on. But I think it just shows that having something like the Parker Review or the Hampton Alexander Review for, for the female board representation does have an impact. 
and it is starting to kick in. So 2021 and 2024, the deadlines for, mm. for more ethnically diverse boards for FTSE 100 and then FTSE 250. So it is starting to kick in. I'm a little bit concerned that often we're now getting briefs that I need a female and I'm also going to have to have a, a BAME candidate. So can you find me a BAME female? I'm a bit concerned that they tend to be getting rolled into one. So um, there is like that diverse spot on a board, perhaps, or maybe two or three diverse spots on a board. And if they can kill two birds with one stone, then they will do. I'm sure some of that is just pragmatic thinking, but I'm just slightly concerned that it doesn't really enrich the overall diversity of the board in spirit of what was intended, but allows two boxes to be ticked at once. Uh, yeah. but, but beyond diversity, I think people's mindsets have changed. I mean, they, they, we've moved on a generation or two in that time and people are much more open and much more diverse in their thinking, much more conscious of the very real value that comes to companies in a commercial sense and also in a cultural sense and in a motivational sense with their workforces to having more diverse boards. So whether that's people of colour, people of different gender, and so forth. I think that they're much more, it really does, you know, you create healthier, better, more successful companies, those statistics have all been proven. And I think people are aware of that, and therefore very open to it now. And beyond that, the specifications have become much more detailed in what they require. So, but let me throw in there, and there's also a statistic that came out with the Parker review that according to this research, a quarter of employers in the UK are not making any effort to attract and recruit yeah. more diverse candidates. Yeah, but does yeah. that mean that three quarters are? You could say it like this, yes. <laughs> but, uh, but, also, but it's still a quarter who doesn't. No, Sabina, but if, if I can just step in there, one thing I, I'm supporting Carol wholeheartedly around the diversity of board members. I think the more diverse you have, the more diverse you have, the better the mix of um, discussions of ideas and so forth. I think that's brilliant. But what I would say is that Hampton Alexander Review for Women was brilliant and it all went to 33 and a third. Now it's going up to 45%. So almost they're looking for equal parity, really, between men and women on boards, which I think is absolutely brilliant. But also with the Parker Review, it's been very, very slow in taking off very slow and it's not nothing to do with covid or lockdown or anything it's been very slow to take off because the government hasn't got behind it yet and um, i think how you'd agree with me on this wouldn't you once the government got behind the hampton alexander review it took off like topsy but until the government really focuses properly on the parker review and I th i'm sure it will because this is exactly what happened with hampton alexander review then and only then i think will this whole push for people of diversity uh, sorry people of color be um, focused upon. I really do feel that. I also think as well, you know, it's about diversity. And I think it's great that people are thinking about diversity. But I think an awful lot of corporations look on diversity and say, gosh, you know, it'd be great to have somebody of colour, somebody from a comprehensive, somebody from a really working class background, which would offset all the privately educated white members of our partnership. However, when they take on these individuals at graduate level, I think they push them all through exactly the same sausage machine and they all come out in exactly the same mode. I don't think that at the moment people are taking it seriously enough. And until they do, then I think you are going to have this element. I think there's going to be a whole generation of diverse candidates, which is going to be wasted in effect, unless they can push them through and actually use the diversity properly. Let me ask you two questions there. Mm -hmm. Because I'm speaking with some men, some white men, who now say, 
you know what, I can stay at home, don't have a chance to progress anyway. What does it mean for white men now, this incredible drive to diversity? I think it means that they've obviously got more competition, but if you look at the stats, it means that 50% of all of the board roles will be going to probably white males, minimum. So they're still in a dominant position. It looks from the way the market is reacting at the moment that the other 50% will be either female or BAME. So the, the female quota will be split with ethnically diverse and gender diverse. There'll be the diversity half, which I'm not, again, I'm not quite sure is quite right, but it's a lot better than where we've been historically on both counts. So I think that, you know, they're still in a dominant position and a lot of men are very supportive of that, you know, very able men uh, understand entirely and think it's about time this happened. And and they've still got really an advantage in having 50% all to themselves. And what does it mean for skills and personality traits? So let's look beyond this. What skills are really in demand in 2021 and what personality traits? I think uh, digital Uh, digital technology, digitally led businesses or businesses that have been through digital transformation. Um, um, And I think lockdown and and the COVID and pandemic crisis has has highlighted the need for all businesses who are capable of having a digital offering, an online offering to sort that offer out and make it as good as it can be. And it's not easy if you've inherited a big portfolio of properties and bricks and mortar estate and so forth if you've got a big heritage business which is the complete opposite of digital but many businesses have a huge opportunity in that some have been grasping that in a way that's really impressive others have struggled for all sorts of other reasons and some are a bit behind the curve but that's the nature of the business world anyway and I'm sure it's the same in every country I think we're probably doing quite well compared to many other countries in the UK on that front but the the one area that everyone is looking for and it's not easy to get it right at a broad level because you tend to go down a generation or two is that digital transformation piece. So how do you, Angela, you do the research for these candidates. Yeah. Where do you find them? Because what Carol just said, it's really true. These digital natives Mm -hmm. are one, two generations below where we are on the board at the moment. To be perfectly honest with you, Sabina, it's just hard work. That's basically it. It's hard work. You just have to do this deep dive. Research is all about filtering. So you, you go as wide as possible. You look at as many areas as possible, as many sectors, as many indices. You know, you'll go into government, academia, not-for-profit, um, consultancies, legal. You'll do the whole gamut to look for that functional expertise. And usually it's it's one level below executive committee and because it's that you really have to dive deep to get it it's talking to people it's a lot of research it's a lot of online work you know following certain leads and it's quite difficult it's far harder there's not there's not a draw that I can open and just pull out all these candidates so then you find a candidate one level no executive level but you have to fill a board role which deaths are boards prepared to die because somewhere they have to compromise don't they of course they do. I think it's very important. And lots, Carol's point then about companies needing digital transformation. And they'll say that, you know, retailers come on, you know, five years, the online offering is now, is come five years earlier than they anticipated. Everything is speeded up. And because of COVID, there will be a lot of transformational work to be done. I think, and I, have, I think Carol will probably agree with me here, this whole piece around transformation, when we had the crash in 2008, uh, 2009, people after that, Lots of new leaders came through and those leaders came through because they had covered off. They'd gone through, they transformed a company which was on its knees and they brought it back to life. 
And an awful lot of people would be looking for that type of leader now following COVID and following this whole lockdown period. Maybe transformation, it may be around ESG is very important as well. That's come through loud and clear. Many of our boards um, or many of our clients are asking for that sort of experience because climate and sustainability is seen as so important going forward. So how do you then square up? On the one hand, people would like someone at board level who really fits in, yeah. who went through the same socialization process, who has a similar profile. But then you have these people who have the skills, but who are definitely from a different generation. How do you help them to set the right priorities? Or Because it's contradictory at times, yeah. isn't it? It's, it can be paradoxical. You can get, you can definitely, people can ask for experience chairs and digital natives, and you don't have digital natives or experienced chairs and age does come into it I think Carol would agree with me here age definitely comes into it and it's a big divide you really Carol and I are working on an assignment at the moment it's a chair assignment it's for a confidential client but we will have to talk to many people on that board in order to get their download on what this briefing should look like and we will take all of that information on board and then we will feed it back then to the chair And they then will be able to work out where we can actually have that flex or compromise on that list of experience that they're requiring because it's too much. They're very, 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 to Kara's point earlier, people are far more precise now about what they're looking for. It used to be an old boys network. I mean, when Carol and I first started, it's true, isn't it, Carol? Yeah, everybody absolutely. knew everybody. Everybody knew everybody. And if it's a friend who they met on the golf club or do you fancy a job on a certain board, that's what it used to be like. And now it's gone completely, for all the right reasons, it's gone in completely the, the other direction. But people are very, very precise about what they need. They're looking for that board, culture, fit, to make sure then that person who comes on really earns that board seat. It's a, you know, it's a privileged position and they need to have somebody who'll be able to help that company to follow the strategic aims. So it has to be someone, it can't be somebody too young or inexperienced because they won't be deserving of that board seat. So can you provide some insights into where boards are prepared to compromise? Do they then compromise on the skill level, on the age, on the cultural fit? Uh, can I jump in? I would just yeah. say it depends on the board and the makeup of that particular board. And most chairmen are quite sophisticated boardroom practitioners. And if they've got a board with lots of experienced heavyweight individuals on it they will come to us for their next board role and say actually I could take a first time Ned because I'm willing to mentor them because you know we've got an experienced audit chair we've got an experienced Remco chair we've got we've got some really strong people on the board already therefore for this appointment I'm willing to take someone who's less experienced so it could be a step up candidate if it's FTSE 100 it could be someone from a much smaller company or if it's a FTSE 250 or lower they might take somebody who hasn't been a Ned before but has got a very good executive track record and is an impressive individual because they will then tutor them in the art of being a boardroom director. I think what they don't want, they're looking for fresh ideas and fresh input, but they don't want someone who's anarchic and too disruptive that they can't get on with the main body of the work that they do in the boardroom. There's a lot of serious work needs to get done for the sake of everybody in that boardroom. And they can't have someone who's too disrupted or waste too much of the executive time sending them off on inane goose chases after every board meeting so you know but if, if they've got a board where they've got maybe somebody who's quite inexperienced on it who's already on that learning curve it might take two or three years for them to get up the learning curve if they have a new boardroom requirement 
they're not going to want another rookie. They're going to want an experienced person. So mm -hmm. some people may have had a bad experience with someone who's been learning the ropes and say executives often don't like it. They much prefer to have experienced non-executives who understand where the border is between executive and non-executive. And they find it deeply irritating and frustrating and time consuming to have someone who's still too much in that executive mindset and yeah. doesn't understand really the role and the duties and the parameters of a non-executive role. But most chairmen will understand it. Well, most decent chairmen will be open to having one person who's on that learning curve. And they're probably making even more allowances of that if it's an either in terms of gender or ethnicity, it's a diverse candidate. So they really are trying to help people. They are. And I would agree, I definitely agree with Carol's point there about there are some sophisticated chairs who understand the need to bring in less experienced people. But one thing I would say as well is that it's really, really important for people to understand governance. And that is where when you have first time directors, A, sometimes they can't become non-execs. They can't distinguish between the difference between a non-exec and an exec. And some really, really struggle with that transformation piece, they can't do it. And other people then haven't got a gist of governance. And that does cause problems as well. Because if you have somebody who's too distant from the central hub of the business, okay, so say they've been, I don't know, divisional chief exec or divisional CFO, or maybe even further down the line than that, they won't have an understanding of governance. They don't understand how a board could work. And therefore, that can be incredibly disruptive. You know, to Carol's point, that can be incredibly, it can be a negative impact on the board without a shadow of a doubt. And one thing that we're, we're definitely stressing to, to clients now is that if you're taking somebody on who is a BAME candidate, a person of colour, or somebody who they think is very inexperienced, that they have a sponsor on the board, not necessarily a mentor, but a sponsor who can act as a go-between between the new person and the old members of the board. It's like the new guard and the old guard. But if you have that person who can answer questions and can explain why things are happening in a certain way and why a person is behaving in a certain way, I think that will help certainly for boards to run far more smoothly. Wouldn't you agree, Carol? Yes, I would. And I pick up on something you said earlier as well about the fact that it's a privilege to be on a board. Yeah, I think and so. If you lower the age profile or the experience profile too much, you run into a really big problem for the company overall. You might have somebody on the board as a non-executive director who isn't as experienced and capable and senior as some of the executives in the company who would give their right arm to have a seat on that board and can't get a seat on the board so you usually only have the chief exec and the cfo so it's deeply frustrating they've got a big divisional md a functional specialist maybe a cio for talking technology for instance who's actually much higher caliber much more respected than the person who's sitting on the board because they've got the tech title over their heads Absolutely. And I may say, sorry, Sabina, one point, sorry to interrupt, but one thing is quite often if you bring somebody in as an audit chair or Remco chair or um, somebody then who's got that digital experience, the exec, the equivalent exec, so it could be the HR director or the CFO, will be looking quite often to work with that board member and to understand a little bit more how they can progress, wouldn't they, Carol, almost as a mentor type because they've, they've obtained that privileged position of sitting on a board. And they would then be able to impact, well, I suppose, tell then and explain how that individual on the exec team could also achieve that going forward. But if there's no, if there's no um, respect of experience or age and they can't understand why that individual has got the board seat, that can actually cause friction and can cause serious problems then between the exec and the non-exec. 
Do you have any indication how much time someone would invest? How much time in a year do you think someone has to invest to really be a good sponsor to bring someone onto a board? Are we talking two hours a month or if our That's listeners are thinking, oh, it's a good idea, but how much time would it actually it's a, take? It's a good question, but also I think it's very much a case by case. You don't know. I mean, somebody could come on board and they may just need, maybe they just might need some rough edges sort of brushed off a little bit. And it's how about, you know, the etiquette of the boardroom and how to behave and so forth. That would take far less time. If it's somebody who's very, very new, They may require a great deal of time to understand governance and to understand then what that holistic approach to being an NED is all about. Would you agree, Karen? Is this case by case? Absolutely. There's yeah. thousands of companies and thousands of different examples. So it really mm. depends on each, each particular situation. And last but not least, I mean, being on a board is still highly, highly desirable. And as you both said, it's a privilege. How difficult is it to get a seat on a FTSE board for the first time? Um, Well, I think statistically, I mean, it's obviously extremely difficult for everybody, for, for men, women, people of color, people of any background, skin color, regardless, it's very difficult. You know, there are only so many seats. Boards have been slimmed down. That Certainly the trends in the UK been to have smaller and smaller boards for good reason. And they're hard work. They take a lot of time. I think it's become increasingly difficult for people with any form of executive role to do anything other than one non-executive board role. It used to happen more frequently. People might take on a couple and some took on more than that. So you're really looking at people who have gone portfolio. People are going portfolio at an earlier age. It's a very valid career choice now. And um, it doesn't mean retirement. It means portfolio. You, they have an illusion that they will have more free time or more control of their diary when they won't actually. So they find themselves just as busy and it's just as just as hard as ever it was before to take time out for holidays and so forth. Yeah, I think it, it is really difficult because there are a limited number of seats and they're highly fought over. I think also to your point, then there are the number now of boards who have got fewer than eight board members has risen from 21% to 30%. Nice little statistic for you there. So it just shows the board sizes, they are decreasing, definitely. I mean, I think the average used to be something like 10.4, now it's 10.1 or whatever in terms of membership. But it's the whole point around now, there are far more boards with eight or fewer members than they used to be. So it's gone down from 21% to 30%. So that just shows, doesn't it? It certainly yeah. since. And that's, forgive me, Sabine, that's since the financial crash. Things have changed since yeah. then. Wouldn't you say so, Carol? It's, it has had, that financial crash had a big impact, didn't it, on the way yes, that business huge, is? huge, yes. And you know, you, far more. And COVID, sorry, Sabine, COVID will have a similar impact. And you give me an interesting statistic, Angela, when we prepared for this podcast. In 2016, 25% of all appointments were first-time appointments. It's now risen to 33%, I think, 33 34%. And that's because people, it's to the earlier points we were making about people have to compromise. And if they compromise, it could often be they will take a first-time NED as opposed to an experienced non-exec because they'll understand that all of the, the abilities, the skills, the personality, the, the character traits that they're looking for, they're no longer embodied within that NED community that exists today. And therefore, there's a new, there's a new tranche now of non-execs coming through. Fantastic. Thank you so, so much for your insights from the front line of uh, board headhunting. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sabina. Thanks, Sabina. How can we help you and your board to become more effective? We at Better Boards are always delighted to hear from you. 
get in touch. You can best reach us at info at better-boards.com. Thank you for listening.